Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the last week. Today, we're going to be talking about some embarrassing body functions, exes who are trying to be BFFs, when to get back to dating, and when to block a guy who's just not coming through. And reminder that if you want to chat privately with me or ask a question, find me on the Instant Go app. My username is ShallonXO and click chat to get connected. Also, be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it and find me on YouTube for new videos every other day. So Amelia asked this next question. I think it's so good. Okay. So she said, if a guy flirts with me, is it really bad that I tell my boyfriend? When girls flirt with him, he always makes a point to tell me. And then he always says that he wants to know if a guy is flirting with me. But I can't lie. Sometimes it's a little weird hearing what a girl is like with my boyfriend when I'm not around. And I'm sure it's like that for him. So hmm, the issue here is that he feels compelled to tell you when girls are hitting on him. Like, He's doing that obviously to get a reaction and hopefully that reaction is, oh baby, I know you're a hot guy and I'm so lucky to have you. That's, that's normal. You know, like guys need to feel prized. People need to feel prized in a relationship and maybe that's pointing to like him not getting enough attention within the relationship. Like he's not getting enough compliments. Maybe compliments are his, his love language, you know? But what could be happening, and I hope it's not, is the dynamic that I talked about in my Beyonce video where guys will get off on pitting women against each other, you know, because it's like, it's an ego thing and they need to feed their ego. Now, like both of these options point to an ego issue, but one is positive and kind of normal and another is toxic and destructive. So I wonder if her telling him about dudes flirting is going to lead to a reaction she doesn't expect. So there's two possible outcomes. Hopefully the outcome is, oh baby girl, like I know you're so hot, guys love you and I'm so lucky to have you. Because guys like to know that their girlfriend's a prize. That's human nature. I think that that's normal and I don't think it's self-destructive. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing. However, if she goes to him and it's like, oh yeah, this guy was hitting on me at a bar and his reaction is something like, well, what the fuck were you doing to encourage that? What were you wearing? Did you make eyes at him? Would you go home with him? Did you like it? That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. So either him wanting to know about other dudes is like, yeah, let me hear how hot my girlfriend is. Or it's, let me make sure I have absolute control over you. It's a possessiveness thing. Because that's, that's not good. So test it out. Say, be like, yeah, even if you make it up. And just see the reaction. Because if it's positive and he's like, yeah, that's right, my baby's hot. All right, that's fine. But if it skews towards the weird, jealous, possessive, ooh, that's a red flag. Jealousy and possessiveness is not only a cancer on the relationship that only grows, it is a precursor to violence. Every single abusive relationship, whether it's physical, sexual, or verbal, starts with something like that. It starts with that control, that isolation. Well, you're not going to that bar anymore. No, fuck that. No, you're not going tailgating if this is like what everyone's wearing. It's just a bunch of guys, horny dudes, like rubbing up against you. I need to protect you from that. 
That's language that abusive people use. I alone am your savior. I'm going to protect you from the world. And it starts with like, oh, these douchey guys at a bar. And then it's, I'm going to protect you from your sister who's always poisoning you against me. I'm going to protect you from your best friend. She's always saying shit about me in our relationship. It's isolation. So really keep your eyes open for that because it's not healthy and it's not normal and it's certainly not a compliment. So I also understand if she doesn't want to hear about chicks hitting on her boyfriend. I actually kind of like that. (laughs) Like my boyfriend, I really like strip clubs and I love watching him get a lap dance. I've even seen him like make out with a stripper. I don't think it's gross. Strippers probably hook up with less people than regular girls. Do you know what I mean? I think we need to de- like criminalize stripping and not think of these girls as like dirty or gross. I, they're not. They're fucking hard workers and they're hustlers and they're, they've got really good bodies usually. I mean, the strip clubs I go to. But I like watching it because I think my boyfriend's really hot and so I kind of like just, I would like watching him prowl and seduce because I'm like, ooh, yeah. Also, because I am rock solid sure he's in love with me. He's choosing me. He's going home with me. This is just a little cat and mouse plaything game. And I know that I could shut it off at a second's notice. I can shut that. I can just flip that switch and it is done if I want to. Because I know he is mine. I know our respect and our boundaries and what's cool and what's not. But like, that's where you want to get to as a relationship. I mean, if you want to. You don't ever need to get to the strip club place in a relationship. If that's not your vibe, that ain't your vibe. That's fine. So if she doesn't want to hear about chicks hitting on her boyfriend, that's completely valid. So the next time he's like, oh yeah, this uh, girl in chem totally was hitting on me over the Bunsen burner. You can be like, just wrap your arms around and be like, baby, of course she was. You're hot. Everyone knows it. And nobody wants you more than me. So I don't need to hear about other girls. I don't really love getting a mental picture on it. Maybe I'm crazy, but... You know what? Actually, don't say that. Let's not act like we have to pretend that we're crazy in order to have some fucking boundaries in our life. You don't need to explain your boundaries. Don't listen to what I just said. So yeah, just be like, I um, just don't like to hear about other girls, you know? So I believe you. The girls are all over you. Trust me. I know it. I, it's just not really a mental picture I love. And then kiss them on the nose and change the subject. This question comes from a young lady named Lana, and she lives all the way in Russia, which I like to imagine is just caviar all day and all night. Please don't dispel this fantasy. I I need this. So Lana says, and this question is a little bit unusual, but I promise I will make this relatable to all of us. So bear with me. So she says, hi, Shallon. So I'm a college student. I'm 21. I work at a really nice hotel in a fine dining restaurant. I'm have a great GPA, I play sports, blah, blah, blah. Basically, my life is really good, except I have this health issue. I have some issue going on with my gut and it causes me to fart. I literally hate saying that word. I don't even know that I can say it. I never, I I think I've said that word out loud maybe three times in my life. Okay, back to the question. So it causes me to do do that thing in public and I can't really control it. And it's horrifying and it's humiliating and it makes me never want to see anyone again like if I'm introduced to a new group of people and that happens I never speak to them again because I'm just 
horrified and I don't know what to do. It's like kind of ruining my life. So how can I get past this? How can I feel more comfortable? How can I make other people around me feel more comfortable? Because this is becoming a real problem. So first thing, I get, so I get questions about health stuff, like kind of a lot. And a lot of it is like, sex is painful. <clears throat> and the first thing I tell girls is like, we'll go to the doctor, you know? And I assume, I feel kind of dumb giving that advice because I assume, well, of course they've gone to the doctor. Of course, you know, that's the first thing I would do. But then I realized when it comes to our health, we either minimize or we catastrophize. You know what I mean? Like we, like Lana has not gone to the doctor because I'm sure her thought process is either like, well, this is just how it is. You know, this is just life. Like what's a doctor going to do? You know, they can't, they can't think this is just how I am. Or we skew way to the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's like, this is such a big problem. Nothing in modern science could ever have a solution. Who cares there are about to colonize life on Mars? There's no way people could balance my gut or make sex less painful. And like, there's actually quite a bit of gray area between those two options. And so I really encourage you guys, like, go to the doctor, because at least then you're going to know what you're working with. If you have some kind of diagnosis, if you have a legitimate medical problem, then you won't feel so like ashamed. Like, this is something I've done to myself and I'm just so weird. It's like, no, this is I'm suffering from a thing. There is something going on that I didn't create, that I don't have control over, and we're working towards it in like, we have a plan, we have a prognosis and we're, we're doing something about it. Because the problem with a medical issue is the helplessness. You just feel so out of control. You feel so betrayed by your body. You feel so weird and you look around at everyone else who appears to be the picture of health and you're like, why is this happening to me? Why? And the way to counteract that, the antidote, is to take control. And so when you can take control of your health and like face it head on, and I know the doctor is really scary for some people, like you you genuinely, it really makes you feel so much better. Even if you don't have a solution just yet, you have knowledge and that really is power. So I told her, go to the doctor, see what the deal is, take some probiotics. Like probiotics are, I talk about them as much as I possibly can because I am evangelical about probiotics. I take a brand called BioK. You can get them at Whole Foods in America, any health food store. I take, they come in like little tiny, sort of like fat little bottles. They taste like yogurt, drink half a bottle a day, your life will change. They allowed me to go off antidepressants because probiotics react with your gut bacteria. I mean, they balance your gut bacteria and your gut bacteria they're discovering is hugely instrumental in mental health, serotonin production, testosterone regulation, hormonal regulation. It really is the epicenter of everything in your body. It allowed me to go off my allergy medication. And I, I was getting allergy shots three times a week for, I don't know, 15 years and not making a dent in my allergies. And I was like, I don't want to be on this medication for the rest of my life. I don't have allergies anymore. It's a miracle. And of course, your gut is balanced, which is incredible. Like things are running the way they should. So I really encourage her to like explore that. But let's say, let's say she has done all this and this is just kind of something she's living with. <sighs> the embarrassment factor is really high because again, it's especially if it's something we don't have control over. <clears throat> I learned all I needed to know about embarrassment from Paris Hilton. I mentioned her in some videos before. Paris Hilton was like big when I was young. And it was like, I learned so much from her because that woman is unembarrassable. Unembarrassable. Sex tape, that's hot, whatever. 
called off three engagements. Yeah, what about it? Like she doesn't feed into her own controversies. She shrugs, she blows a kiss, and she moves on. And then other people are like, huh, all right, guess we're moving on too. The more you address a scandal, the bigger it gets. You know, fuel is fuel. It doesn't matter what you're saying, it's fuel. So like, I really hope I'm never in the situation where like someone digs up an embarrassing tweet or a a hideous photo of me. There's plenty of those. (laughs) You know, it's like the worst thing you can do is address it. All it takes is a news cycle and it'll wash away. But what can we learn if we're not a celebrity, if we we didn't have a sex tape and it's more of a micro issue? Same thing. You address it. Sorry about it. I have a gut issue. Sorry. And then you move forward. Or if you're in a new group of people, bring it up. If it's appropriate, just be like, hey, just like FYI, like I have this thing that I deal with with my tummy and you might hear some things or whatever. Let's just not make a big deal out of it. Everything's fine. I just want to give you guys a heads up. And then you move forward and you don't keep addressing it because then it fuels. Because when you keep addressing something, it becomes an issue of permission. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it okay? And then people drunk on this power you have now imbued them with are like, um, no, it's not okay. I would like to keep making fun of you for this. Whatever it might be, a sex tape, a toot, whatever. (laughs) And like, we aren't going to give away our power and our peace of mind for other people. We're not going to live our life like a, like a, essay that's sitting on a teacher's desk waiting to be graded by the rest of the world. That's not who we are, okay? We are the book and not the reader. Remember that. So next time you're feeling embarrassed, shrug, move on, and the rest of the world will too. This next question comes from a girl named Nala, and she said, well, Shallon, you would be proud of me. This guy who I'm on a vacation two years ago who has not really stayed in contact, even though he promised he would, talked a good game, but he has been stalking my Instagram and Snapchat constantly. I finally deleted the account he was stalking, finally blocked him on Snap, blocked him on Twitter, the whole thing, because I just didn't need him like lurking around. But then one of our friends who he like knows also said that he was really upset that I blocked him because he really enjoyed looking at my page every day. So like, what? 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 Why does he care that the account's gone? It's not like he showed any interest in talking or communicating with me. What is happening? So, yeah, I've been down this road with my GGFB. Good guy, fuck boy. I blocked him on Snapchat at one point because he had, I think he had like flaked on a date or come into town and not hung out with me or like not responded. He did, believe me, he did something to deserve it. And he texted me directly and was like, did you block me? And I was like, yes, I blocked you because of X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Like I had a whole, I literally made it a bullet pointed list. And he's like, okay, I get it. And he was like, not happy about it. And he basically said what your friend told you, which is like, he enjoyed being this sort of peeping Tom into my life and seeing what I was doing on Snapchat. He's like, well, I just wanted, I like knowing what you were up to. And I was like, well, you know how you could know what I was up to? You could text me you could see me. We could hang out IRL, like two people who like each other and who are, I don't know, dating? Is that a verb you're familiar with? Evidently not. Because here's the bottom line. I don't need someone loitering in my heart and on my networks for their own amusement. And that's what it is. I get mad when like 
remember Gawker? I don't know if you guys ever read that website. When it shut down, I was like, oh, no, because I it was for my amusement. It was my entertainment. I didn't really care about the people who worked there, the journalistic value, blah, blah, blah. It was something that I used to get through my day. And when it was taken away from me, I was nettled because it was a thing that existed only in so far as to serve me. It was not a two way street. I wasn't serving it. I didn't care, whatever. So in a way, this is like what I became to my good guy fuckboy. And this is what Nala became to her dude, an emotional fidget spinner. Just a thing to pass the time. And that goes to show how these guys view us. Like, they don't really bother to think that like, oh, maybe she takes this the wrong way. Maybe she wants more out of this than I'm giving her. And maybe, you know what, and I hesitate to say that because I don't want to encourage us to then go out and make declarations to guys. I don't ever want us to think that the reason he isn't being a man and coming after me and pursuing me is because he just doesn't know that I like him. So, okay, let me do the most desperate things and just lay out before him an incredible multi-level presentation of my feelings then and only then will he come and pursue me. That might actually sound logical. You know, it's like, well, he's got another the doors open before he tries to walk through it, right? No. Boys aren't logical. You forget you're dealing with sort of like a mix between like golden retrievers and toddlers and emotional terrorists, regular terrorists. That's a boy. So throw logic and accountability out the window. Boys don't like to be spoon-fed things. They like to hunt I don't. I mean, sometimes I do, but in like a very small way, in like a fractional way of the way guys are. It's like the Justin Bieber song. I don't work hard when it's easy. I put in work when it's hard. I've never disagreed with a line less in my life, but that is very, that is boys. That is how they are. And we have to accept that. And ironically, the easier we make it, ugh, they're repulsed. They don't want it. It's a supply and demand issue. And who created the concept of supply and demand? Men. They created the economy. That's how capitalism has worked since the dawn of commerce, the dawn of time. And guys know that. That's their system. They came up with it, you know? Something is rare. Ooh, they want it. If it's hard to get, ah, I gotta have it. Lamborghinis, diamonds, seats on Elon Musk's space shuttle. These are rare and valuable. French fries, not as much. Although, I'd rather have a bunch of fries than go to space. I'm 100% serious. So the answer here is, of course, of course, he's going to be annoyed because, again, it's not a two way street. I was annoyed that Gawker shut down. I didn't give a fuck about Gawker. Like, and that doesn't mean that it needs to exist just to serve my needs. I feel like this metaphor has gotten away from me. My point is, walls aren't meant to please people on the outside. Locks aren't meant to please the interlopers. They're meant to keep people on the inside safe. And the people who don't agree with your boundaries are actually exactly the people that you need them against. This next question comes from Priya, and she has an issue that I feel like a lot of us have been dealing with. Okay, she says, I have this guy from my elementary school that I had a crush on from eighth grade to 12th grade, but he hated me and he never liked me. And after him, I had a lot of other crushes and a boyfriend, but he was my major, major crush. And now I've actually found a really loving, amazing boyfriend and I love him so much. He treats me like a queen. 
But recently, this high school guy was at a party and I had too much to drink and I confronted him about my crush and he apologized for how he treated me, but I cannot stop thinking about him. I'm so in love with my boyfriend. I have plans to marry him. We have a future together. But this high school guy is like a hurt locker for me and I'm not sure how to get over him for good. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it's important we define the terms. If you guys haven't heard me talk about hurt lockers before, a hurt locker is the name I have given to guys that we sort of like put all of our hurts in. Like they represent something larger than who they are. Because if we look at most people that we're obsessed with objectively, it's like, okay, great. Either we don't really know that much about them, you know, like they they exist kind of in fantasy, they were a crush. Or what we do know is like, really not that impressive. It certainly doesn't merit months, years, decades of obsession. And I've said that my Hurt Locker is a hockey player who I dated not for a super long time, but it's like the Rascal Flat song. It wasn't long enough, but it was long enough to last forever. <laughs> like that is exactly how it was. He was my Hurt Locker because at the time, like his career was, I mean, he just raised a Stanley Cup and like I imprinted on him, like my ego imprinted on him in a way because he was so special and he was living out all of his dreams. He was so self-actualized. He was so self-fulfilled and maximizing his potential. And I envied that. You know, hurt lockers are not so much people we love. They're people we want to be. And I, it was really hard for me to get over him because when I was with him, I was so special by osmosis. I was special tangentially, you know, by, by association. And so I wanted to feel that specialness. Had I been more aware at the time, I would have harnessed that energy and focused it into actually pursuing the things that would have made me feel special on my own. Writing the extra book, getting on another TV show, doing all that. Eventually, I did do that. I eventually cowboyed up and refocused, shifted, and channeled it into things that are more positive, and that's when I was able to get over it. But that's what a hurt locker is, and we all have one. Some of us have more than one. I probably have like a whole, you know, locker room full. But in her case, what I think is going on, I think it was really, really telling that not only is this a guy who didn't like her back, which happens, you know, that's life. And that usually doesn't create necessarily a hurt locker. It's that he was mean to her. He hated her. That was very, very telling to add that detail. And, you know, when you guys ask me questions on Instant Go, I always say, keep it brief, keep it brief. Give me a synopsis. Just give me the overview. And I do that for a reason, not just because I don't care and I don't want to read the details. I do. But because I think it's really telling how we choose to describe someone if we have to sum them up. What adjectives do we use? How do we phrase this? What's our subconscious overall purview of a situation. And oftentimes that gives me so much more clarity and information than like, and on Thursday he did this. And then on Saturday he did that. And then on Wednesday he came, it's like, oh my God, like I don't, I'm not, please stop. It's just like I drown in the detail, but like I need to be able to see the trees for the forest, the forest for the trees. So again, I think it was really telling that she described him this way because, so this is what I think. Hold on. I'm sorry. We got a we got a frozen app. Okay. So the part of the reason I don't think she can get over him is because she's not it's not him. It's that she can't move on from who she was at that time. And I think like she interpreted this person's behavior as someone who was worthy of being in her life. Like a guy who's mean to you 
obviously doesn't like you. We do not need to normalize. Like, well, he's just, that's his way of flirting. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? That's, I'm sorry. I don't get a lot of positive reactions when I'm a dick to people in real life. If I scream at a cashier in Rite Aid, they're not like, that's just her way of saying hello. I get escorted out. Like, this is not acceptable behavior. And women take it because we've been conditioned since we're toddlers. Well, this is how it is. He pushed you. Oh, he kicked you in the playground. Oh, he likes you. He doesn't know how to communicate it. Fucking learn, bro. Learn or get out of the way. And I think now that she's with her quality boyfriend, she looks back and she's like, ugh, why did I normalize that? Why did I accept that? Who was I? And I think she's feeling a degree of shame. Like, I'm so mad at myself. I wasted four years of my life obsessing and pining over this guy who is not only just indifferent towards me, actively mean to me. And I took every mean thing as a green light. Let's keep going. Great. What was wrong with my self-esteem then? You know, because that's what it is. It's a self-esteem issue. And a lot of us teenage girls do this. And hell, a lot of us adult women do this. And once we can identify that and forgive ourselves, then we can start to move on. So here's how you do that. You make a list of all the ways you were no longer the girl you were back then. Start with listing who you were. You shy, were you a pushover, everything you didn't really want to accept back then. That now, with a little clarity and quite a bit of cringing, you can put a name to, write that down. Then on the other side of that piece of paper, and I'm, I'm really big on writing things down on pieces of paper. Don't do it on the notes in your phone. We connect to a message much better when we write it by hand. So on the other side of the piece of paper, write how you've changed. I'm not spineless anymore. I stood up for myself at work and got a promotion. I'm not embarrassing. I'm the life of the party. I gave a great presentation the other day. I'm not this. I'm not that. List all the ways you've changed emotionally, intellectually, physically, socially, all the goals you've set and met all the new adventures, the experience, the wisdom that you've gained. Write that down in a letter and then forgive your teenage self for being a little naive and normalizing shitty behavior as something you just had to accept. Well, I guess my suffering is just the natural collateral damage on his path of self-discovery. The course of true love never ran smooth. Actually, it does. It does. When it's right, it's easy. It's not mean, it's not hurtful, it's not toxic. There's no hated me, he was mean, he came around, made it work. None of this language is present. So I think once she does that, once she details how far she's come, how she's no longer this person in her current life, she doesn't put up with fuckboys, she doesn't have toxic friends, she doesn't let people get away with shit and still stay in her life. Then she can realize just how far she's come. And if anything, that this guy was actually a vehicle that helped her get to this new plane of awareness. God bless the broken road, you know? And again, I mean, I'm, I'm wary of saying things like that because I don't want you to think that you should have to be in these kinds of relationships. Well, like I said, well, the course of true love, you know, this is just the normal, this is growing up. No, man, it doesn't have to be. No, absolutely not. I always want you guys to learn from my mistakes and not your own, because that is wisdom. Only a fool learns from their own mistakes, you know, right? A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. So that's always what I'm trying to get you guys to do. But if you have had toxic relationships, and if you do have people who you feel are hurt lockers, you can't change it. You can't go back in time. You can't undo it. All we can ever do with things that come to us in our life is learn. Nelson Mandela has a quote I love. 
I never lose. I either win or I learn. And that's so true. That's so true. But we have to choose to do that. And it's not always easy. It's often very cringy to have to throw a light on like, well, how did we contribute to this situation? And like, you know, what was our role in this catastrophe? Because almost never were you completely blameless in your own misfortune. And that's the gift and the curse. Like, it sucks to think like, cool, am I my own worst enemy? Great. It's cringy and it's terrible and it's much better for our egos to think like, no, I'm a victim. But it doesn't get us anywhere. We're not learning. We're not growing. And isn't that rather the point as just being an adult and growing up? Isn't the whole point to learn and get better? If you were playing sports, if you're playing hockey, like I did growing up, and every shitty slap shot, every missed pass was someone else's fault, not my fault, nope, not me, the fact that I can't make a hockey stop, not my fault, it's the ice's fault, how much better do you think you're going to get? Not at all. You're going to stagnate. And everyone is going to get really annoyed with you and you're going to get kicked off the team. Life is no different. That's how everything is. We are forced to sit and examine things in order to improve. In sports, you have a coach. And in life, you have me. So if there's something you cannot move past, whether it's a guy, an experience, an embarrassing situation, a shitty job, a fraught relationship, sit down and really be honest with yourself or honestly like recruit your loved ones and be like, hey, how do you think I contributed to this? I guarantee you they will have thoughts. (laughs) They will have thoughts and yeah, they'll have a whole presentation ready to show you because only then can we move on. And you know what? It's worth it. That's all for this week, Shaloners. Thanks for tuning in. And like I said, if you have a love question of your own that you need some help on, find me on the Instant Go app and click chat to get connected right away. Also, find me on YouTube, Shallon Lester. Click like and subscribe for new videos every Friday and a bunch in between. And be sure to follow me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at ShallonXO. Stay savage. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm new. That's anchor.fm new to get started.